You know, I know there's people here today that maybe you don't go to church any other Sunday a year. Some of you, it's Easter, and some of you, it's Christmas, and I'm glad you came today. Uh, I thought about maybe sharing a message that would make you feel good and maybe hold you over for 12 months, and I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. I, I thought today, let's share a message that I, if I had one time to talk to you about how, how important it is to not miss Christ and Christmas, I thought that's what God wanted me to tell you today. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to look at one of the Christmas stories. It actually took place after the very first Christmas. It's about wise men, Matthew chapter 2. And if you want to read all the Christmas stories during Christmas vacation, uh, Matthew 1 and 2, Luke 1 and 2. I've been rolling around in those four chapters all week and uh, smell like those four chapters. Come on. You guys ready to go? And so if you got your Bible right now, I'm going to read 12 verses, Matthew chapter 2. Before I go any further, uh, I know that's my only, uh, if I could be very honest as a pastor, my only problem I have with the liturgical celebrations like Easter, like Christmas, is sometimes those times of the year, we get so locked into the tradition of the service that we almost dumb down what God can do in those environments. So I want to announce to you, last night, God told me very clearly, he said, Mark, tell him before you get started that today I'm going to heal the incurable. There's people in this room that you have an uncurable, incurable disease. It might be a disorder. It might be hereditary. It might be in your, in your physical body or in your mind. And God said, before you get started, to break people out of the religious cycle of thinking... Tell them that I'll do, I'll do a miracle today. So I just want to make sure at the very beginning of this service to elevate the level of faith because I'm not here just to entertain your, your, your academic mind today. I'm here to create an atmosphere that you can encounter God. Are you guys ready to go today? So I need you to get on the edge of your seats like it's your favorite movie. We're going to lean in today. We're going to believe God for something awesome. If you believe it, say Amen. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read here 12 verses, and if you're taking notes, I have a simple message for you today, but I do believe it's uh, going to lead us into this encounter with God, and I want to talk to you a little bit today about taking the trip, taking the trip, and if you're, uh, you want to take a more dignified title, from the Bible to Bethlehem, from the Bible to Bethlehem, let's, let's go, you guys ready? Matthew 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born. When? So this actually wasn't when he was born. It was after he was born. In Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east. Where were the wise men from? They came to Jerusalem. They said, where is he? Big point here I want to make. Maybe the greatest question that made the wise men wise is they were interested in knowing where God was. Where is he? Say it with me. Where is he? Where is he who is to be born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. I think Jerusalem was troubled because they thought, man, if King Herod finds out about this, he's going to lose his doggone mind. And if he loses his mind, what kind of crazy stuff is he going to do? So all of Jerusalem was troubled with the king. And when he had gathered together all the chief priests, all the scribes, the religious elite of the day, the king brought them together and he asked them where the Christ was supposed to be born. 
And notice what the religious said. They said this, in Bethlehem. They said where? Say it again. In what? How many believe that's where he was born? You're right. So the religious people knew where Jesus was going to be born. They said, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet Micah. It's actually Micah chapter 5, verse 2. He says this, but you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod said when he had, when he had secretly called the wise men to determine about what time the star appeared, and he sent them, notice the king, he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said this, go and search carefully for the young child. Notice he wasn't a baby. Come on, stay with me today. Some of your nativity scenes have lied to you. The wise men were not there at the birth of Jesus. They were there about a year or two after Jesus was born. Are you with me still? And so they go, and they actually, he sends them on their way. And, and Herod says, when you find the child, bring back word to me that I might also go and worship him. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went. Say what they went. How many know that stars don't normally went? Can we agree on that? The star went before them till it came and stood over the place where the young child, not the baby, but the what? Where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the child uh, with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. They fell down and they, I have a theory here that they actually traveled for eight to ten months they, uh, they actually, after 8 to 10 months, they were on a horse, traveled 800 miles. I think that maybe falling down was a chiropractic move. We'll keep going. So they fell down, and it says they had great joy. And when they did this, they opened up their treasuries, and they presented gifts. Opened their treasuries. They presented gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Probably one-third made Orange County's list. Come on. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed to their own country another way. Say it with me, another way. Another way. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for this atmosphere. I'm going to close your eyes just for a minute. I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord over these tents. I command every, any witch, any warlock, anybody that's in the occult right now, I serve eviction notice to you. You get up and you leave right now, or you don't cause any problems today in Jesus' name. I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord over this environment, that people are going to get healed, that people are going to get saved. So I rebuke the spirit of distraction right now. I command that, Lord, like a laser focus, God, all eyes would be on the king. All eyes would be on the king. All eyes would be on the king. Lord, do what only you can do today in this place, in Jesus Christ's name. And someone that's got a little bit of faith, shout it, amen. Amen. I feel something in here today. I like to, I'm, uh, a lot of times I like to start off with something humorous. So maybe I'll try that. Is that all right? I got two daughters and I was thinking about this. Nothing really tests your inner gangster more than having a teenage daughter. I'm from the high desert originally. Don't let the, come on, the, the suit fool you. I'm from Palmdale, the home of Afro man and Paul George. And I'll tell you what, uh, I was raised in a tough environment. I was raised in low-income housing. I, I know, I, I know how to how to get along in a in a rough neighborhood. 
But I'm telling you, my daughter sometimes forgets that I'm from Palmdale. She just thinks dad's a pastor in Orange County. I'm like, no, dad wasn't always a pastor in Orange County. I was thinking about this. Any parents in here, you have a, you have a teenage son or daughter, and you're like, I don't know, what, I don't know, I don't know about them sometimes. <laughs> I think God is giving me back what I caused the pain in my mom and dad. It's like every time I'm frustrated with my kids, in fact, the Lord's like, this is nothing compared to what you did to your parents. But my, uh, my daughter, she's 14. My seven-year-old is, um, she's seven. In case you missed that. Um, but I was thinking about, you know, really what makes kids kids is I think immaturity is really, uh, it's caricatured by the idea that you know more than you actually do. I think a simple definition of being a child is that you actually, sometimes you don't know any better, but sometimes when you know but you still don't do it, that is the mark of immaturity. I think in many ways, like, we, we still are immature. I remember we got married. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I can't spend more money than I make. It's funny that finances are, like, an easy thing to understand, a hard thing to live out sometimes. And I'm like, wow, I'm immature in this area. But I have, uh, I've, I have two little girls. They're pretty amazing uh, 99% of the time. But there's that 1% that you're like, please listen. I don't know if you have a teenage child, but usually teenage kids are funny because uh, when you're trying to get a hold of them, they will respond when they choose to with no ramifications. Could be six months later. But if they're trying to get a hold of you, you better stop everything. It goes from like, Dad, where are you? Dad, what are you doing? Dad, right now. Dad, 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 emergency, 911. I'm like, oh, my gosh, call her. Nothing's going on. I was thinking about this, man, having kids. It's just thinking about, you know, my, my daughter, she'd be coming downstairs. I'm like, hey, can you grab this for me? And it's like I asked her for a huge favor. She's almost insulted that I would enlist her help. And I'm like, I'm from Palmdale, Kenzie. I will send you there for a week. You will never forget how good your life is. I was thinking about, man, Thinking about this idea of uh, this, this one of the earliest Christmases, um, it just, I don't know, it struck my attention. Um, take the trip. Say it with me, take the trip. You know what intrigued me about Christmas? Christmas is interesting because it has so many people groups involved. I think it's interesting because the very first Christmas is about two pregnant couples. Did you know that? One of the greatest miracles of Christmas, before I get into my message today, is this, is that there was, if you know this, between Malachi and Matthew, there was 400 years of silence. And I think the greatest miracle, the first great miracle of Christmas is God decided to start talking again. And he spoke through two crazy scenarios, both pregnancies, one with an old couple that were actually in a senior citizen war. Zachariah, I'm going to talk about him a little bit tonight, but Zacharias was this priest that uh, he was praying for years and years and years to get pregnant. He didn't get pregnant. Years and years and years to get pregnant, and he didn't get pregnant. And what I love about Zacharias is, is we pick up reading in Luke chapter 1 that he was serving in God's house when his prayer was answered. I thought about how many years did his prayer not get answered. He was a righteous man, didn't get what he wanted, but he didn't give up on God's house. We'll talk about that tonight a little bit. But I thought about, wow, this is crazy. You have an old couple getting, getting pregnant. You got a young couple getting pregnant from Nazareth High School. Joseph, Mary. 
And then you got like, you got rich people, these aristocrats from the east, wise men, the magi. These guys are descendants of Balaam, the most educated, sophisticated, uh, the most influential, wealthy people of their day and their hour. And they travel 800 to 1,000 miles over 8 to 10 months. And God uses a polytheistic, highly educated, highly academic couple, or, or wise men, to actually go after the star. It wasn't religious leaders. It wasn't scribes. It wasn't Pharisees. It wasn't Herod. It wasn't a Jew. God used men from the east. And then there's shepherds in the field. So you got elites, academics, educated that are rich. You got non-educated, blue-collar in the fields. You got old. You got young. You got everyone in between. And I love this story because uh, what got my attention that I felt like the Lord wanted me to share with you is that it took non-Jewish, non-believing God-seekers. They're labeled wise men in the Bible. Does your Bible call them wise men too? Wise men. What made the wise men so wise? I think the first thing that made them wise is they ask a question that some people refuse to ask. Where is he? Some people live their whole lives. They don't care where God is. They're happy to be God their whole life. Some people don't think about eternity until it knocks on their front door. It's so funny to me how people plan for retirements. They plan for IRAs, and I'm all about planning for the future, and, and they got their 401Ks, and they have so much thought into what they'll do with the last 20 years of their life, but so little thought thinking about eternity. Why do we overplan for what's temporary and underplan for what's... Just a thought. But somehow God uses these wise men from the east. They come into Jerusalem. They saw a star, and they talk to the king, and they say, King, we've seen the star, and we've heard. Say it with me. We've heard. This is very important. I want you to catch this phrase. What you do with what you hear about God will determine what you see. What you do with what you hear about God will determine what you Some people never see miracles because they do nothing with what they hear. Some people never see God move in their family because they never do anything with what they hear. They don't let the script, the stories of scripture inspire faith for their current life. To them, it's all the Bible with no trip to Bethlehem. It's a big idea today. You guys ready? Very interesting here that these wise men come in and they ask the king, where is the Messiah, God? Where is he supposed to be born? We've seen his star. You know what they said? We've seen a star too. You know what they said? Oh, yeah, we know where he's supposed to be born. Bethlehem. You're telling me that you saw the star? That you spent your whole life saying that a Messiah was going to come? You worshiped the scriptures? You knew where God was going? But you let wise men from the east go in your place? One of the greatest travesties of religion is we get stuck in the Bible and we never take the trip to Bethlehem. I felt the heart of God on this last night. There is people in Orange County that you know the Bible, but you never take the trip of faith to Bethlehem. You know, there is a promised land, but you refuse to leave Egypt. You know, there is an upper room, but there was 500 invited and only 120 that showed up. You know there's a trip. But you're, you're comfortable sending somebody else to go for you. 
That's the King Herod syndrome. Herod wanted somebody else to go explore God for him. And he lied to himself and he said, if he is there, come back and tell me and I'll go worship him too. No, you won't. If you won't worship God now, you won't worship God later. You're lying to yourself. I feel something in here today. This is so true today. They said, listen to me, the first thing that we know about people that miss Christmas, they miss Christ in Christmas, is number one, they have no hunger for God. You know why you'll miss Chris- you, you know why you will miss Christ this Christmas? I'll slow down. You'll miss Christ this Christmas because you have no hunger to know where he is. I went to church my whole life. I don't care. Going to church makes you a Christian like owning an oven makes you a baker. There could be a correlation, but it's not, it's not certain. It's like saying I own a vacuum cleaner. It doesn't make you clean. I own a car. It doesn't make you a good driver. Listen to me. Church attendance, I think, is awesome. But I think there's people that think that they are, they are godly, that they're going to heaven because they're in an environment of fire, but they don't have their own. It's easy to think that you're burning when you're sitting next to someone that's burning for God. And here's my challenge. I think that God says, look, you want to meet me this Christmas? Get a hunger for me. Stop living off of other people's miracle stories. Stop, stop standing in other people's fire. Stop living in other people's smoke. Get your own fire. Secondhand Christianity is killing a generation. We got grandmas that knew God. We got moms that knew God. But where are the kids that say, I want a relationship with Yahweh? He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and all three generations need to know the God of the universe. And I'm telling you today that too many people, they know the scriptures, they just don't take the trip. Bethlehem, that's 800 miles away. That's inconvenient. You're telling me I have to take some time off of work? You're telling me I'm I'm going to sacrifice some family time? Some me time? There was ever a phrase that's not godly. Is that phrase me time? Just want to make me happy. Me, 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 mine, 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 mine. Crazy. People are like missing out on God because they have no hunger. No hunger. God had to incite hunger in these polytheistic, dark arts, magi, religious soothsayers that studied Balaam, they, they were the ones that saw the star and they were interested in the supernatural. You had people that had the road map to God, but they said, we know the map, we're just not going to take the trip. I know where he's going to be born, Bethlehem. You're telling me you knew where he was going to be born and you missed it? Some of you are the same way, like if I knew where God was going to be right now on the earth, I would be there right now. I'm like, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think there's people that lived on the streets of Galilee that knew that Jesus was coming through their town and they chose to stay home. I think if I told you that God would heal you if you came back tonight, and you're like, ah, I got plans. We, we, we often lack encounters because we lack hunger. Where is he? And I love the fact that it was these wise men and their hunger that said, oh, Bethlehem? How far is that? 800 miles. Whoa, we'll saddle up. Got their Arabian horses, eight to ten months. I think it's called monkey butt. Is that what it's called? It's when your butt is so sore. Saddle, I don't know. I didn't ride horses. I just know the first time you ride a mountain bike, come on, you can't sit down for two weeks. 
These guys rode a horse for eight, I'm just trying to point this out, to 10 months. And the first thing they do is they're falling flat on their face, straightening out. Back to life chiropractic. Come on, just laying out right there. And they offer gifts. This is crazy to me. I was thinking about this. They made a journey because of their hunger. And I, I kind of went through this idea. It's interesting that some people will settle with knowing the Bible, but never go to Bethlehem. They know Hebrews, but they don't know him. They speak Greek, but they don't know God. They've studied the scriptures. They've just never invited the spirit. And I felt the heart of God saying, now it's time to get a hunger for God again. Don't be King Herod that's asking your grandma to get close to Jesus for you. Stop sending your mom and your dad into the prayer closet that you're supposed to fill. Stop asking somebody else to get close to God for you. I love the fact that Tristan moved down here for himself. My mom loves Jesus. My dad loves Jesus. But I'm going to know him for myself. Some of you need to do Ocean's College to invest in your relationship with God. Too many people have a second-hand knowledge of God. And it's crazy how the details get screwed up from one person to the next. So say with me. Say, get me. Get, get hungry. We got to get out of this Herod mentality that someone else is going to go for you. Stop lying to yourself. If you don't go now, you'll never go. One of the biggest lies I told myself as a young man, I knew God was real. My grandma was a missionary in Japan and China. I heard the stories of miracles. I knew deep down God was real. I just didn't want to live for him. Because I was like King Herod. If there's another king, maybe I can't be. That's why Herod was troubled. Because when you have a revelation that there is a God that is bigger than you, most atheists deep down, they know there's something else. They just don't want to su surrender their supreme lordship of their life. They like being their own CEO. They like determining their sexuality, what they do with their life and their talents and their money and their desires. They don't want to give up their throne. So it's easier to try to kill all the babies in Jerusalem, to, to create a genocide, to actually wipe out any future kings so that I don't have to give up my throne. And there's people today, dare I say, and notice this, that we are living in one of the few windows of history that in the days of Moses, there was genocide because a great deliverer was being raised up. Killing babies in the days of Moses. Killing babies in the days of Jesus. Everyone to and under wiped out because God was raising up a great deliverer. And now in America today, a great genocide of abortion. Why? Because God is raising up more deliverers. And I'm telling you right now, the devil is scared of sons and daughters that say, if there was a king, I am willing to get hungry for him. But you'll never hunger for God if, number two, you don't have humility for him. What made the wise men wise is they said, if he is real, if that star is him, we'll travel to it. And if he's there, we'll be willing to bow. Can you imagine a full-grown, wealthy powerful man bowing to a two-year-old in a humble house opening up treasure chest gold scholars say lots of the ministry of jesus was probably funded by the gifts the wise man gave when he was a baby 
You think about these wise men being humble enough to lie on the ground in their fancy clothes because of what they believed to be the king of kings. I heard a story, I think I read it a couple years ago to the church, about a woman that loved the show. She studied all the shows about the, the, the queen of England, and she was obsessed. Some of you are probably the same boat. Um, loved the monarchy and just was crazy about it. She lived in a small rural area of, of England, and she said, in her, she's probably in her 50s, and she basically told the story about how one day they did, a, they did an actual procession, and the queen drove by, and when she drove by, she was too short to see, and she wanted to wave. She's she so excited to see who she's a big fan of that she actually jumped up onto a trash can, a grown woman. And she starts jumping up and down on the trash can, waving like a crazy person. And the thought occurred to this old, sophisticated woman. She thought to herself, I would look nuts if the queen wasn't driving by right now. But it was the presence of royalty that made her action not look crazy, but actually look brilliant. Because the wisest people in the world realize that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know why some of you aren't being raised up? Because you don't honor God. You've never humbled yourself under the hand of God. You think you can get yourself to your destiny better than God can. And I'm telling you, as long as you're in the driver's seat, God is not. And today, maybe the greatest thing you can do this Christmas season to not miss Christ is to say, you know what, I'm going to get hungry for God again. And I'm going to be humble enough to say, God, I did 2022 my way. Let's do next year your way. Your ways are higher. Your thoughts are higher. I'm gonna, are you with me today? Can I get an amen up in the house? I'm going to be humble this year. Most people miss Christmas because they lack hunger. They lack, they lack humility. Or lastly, I'll be honest, they lack honor. They don't honor. I went to The Voice and I started the chant, Bodie, Bodie. Blake was talking about me. Come on. Just kidding. Seriously, though. But I, I was there and I was like so hyped. I was Bodie's hype guy. I was happy to be your hype guy, Bodie. But I was there on the set, and I saw this girl. She, I don't know how she got in, because basically for like 12 hours when you're there on the show, they pretty much torture you to clap as loud as you can, shout as loud as you can. I'm like, dude, if we did half of this in church, there'd be a revival in America. Look at this hype guy, like, you better stand up and shout right now. I'm like, okay, fine, I'm getting up. But there was a lady, and she somehow snuck in. She had these gloves on. She's like dressed all fancy. And every time something was going on, we're supposed to clap. Like everyone's losing their voice and clapping, like hands are bruised. This is her clap the whole time. It was a fingertip clap. And the guy, the hype guy for the voice, he was so ticked off to say, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, you. Points at her. She's like, he's like, what's this about? It's fingertip clap. He's like, you want to watch, you want to listen to the show? Go home and watch it. You're here to be part of the cast. You need to clap. She's all frazzled. But I thought about it. I think sometimes we go to church and our honor for God is kind of like this. He's real, but I don't know. He's that powerful. This guy's too excited. He needs to settle down a little bit. He yells too much. Why is he wearing a suit? I wear it twice a year. Settle down. 
I think, uh, I think if there would be more hunger, if there would be more humility, and there would be more honor for the Holy Spirit, we would see what we saw in the book of Acts. I think the absence of God's presence and power in our world is connected to the absence of these three traits. We've lost our hunger. We can go through a day and not even acknowledge that God wasn't there. I didn't need God today. Some of you, that's your biggest problem. You don't need God. You know what God told me when I was 18? He said, I'm gonna, you're going to be a missionary one day. So I saw the globe spin. I was actually 19 years old. I was in Portland, Oregon, 5,000 people, Generation Unleashed. And that's when I got called to ministry. And my grandma was in China and Japan. My grandpa was there, the Philippines. They did all kinds of missions work. So I thought I was going to be a missionary. He said, you're going to be a missionary. So I started weeping. I heard it as clear as day. You will be a missionary. I'm like, all right. And I closed my eyes. I'm crying, like the ugly crying. You know the ugly crying? Like the waterfall snot. You know what I'm talking about? You can't even like breathe. You're like, <gasps> that's me. I'm at this altar. And I'm not kidding. You know in your classroom in school, there's the globes on your teacher's desk? I saw a globe. I said, Lord, where are you calling me? And I saw the globe spinning when I was 19 years old. January 2003. And it was spinning. And I saw it stop. And he pointed, he stopped it with his finger. And I heard his voice before I could see what his finger stopped on. He said, I'm going to call you to one of the hardest mission fields of your generation. I'm going to call you to a nation that doesn't think they need me anymore. And I'm going to call you to a people group that, that already have everything that money can give them. And they're so full of life and earth that they don't think they need me anymore. And I saw it was North America. North America, he said, is so full of material things that the day will come that missionaries will come from other nations to win America because we've lost our way. I do believe that we're showing our missionaries. We're reaching people groups that are hard to reach. People that don't think they need God. I've achieved my dreams. I've married the model. I've bought the mansion. I've achieved success. Who is God? And I would tell you today that God is the one that you should hunger for. Who is God? He's the one that you should be willing to humble yourself to. He's the one that you should be willing to get off of your throne and say, this is your throne. This is your life. This is your talent. Everything that I have is a gift from above. And I honor you, whether you give me 20 years or 20 days, all the rest of my days are in your hands. I don't want to live for this life. I want to live for eternity. The problem with many of you is you're full because you're only looking at earth. And when earth is your goal, it's easy to get filled up. Because earth can only offer you so many zeros. But when you, when you create the backdrop of your life going, no, it's not about earth. I was talking to my friend this week. His name's Bodie. Come on. I was, I was going to keep it secret. I'm like, no, that's a good story. We were, eating, we were in breakfast. And I told him, I said, you know what's crazy, Bodie? There's a, there a great preacher. He used to preach, honestly, straight up fire. His name was Leonard Ravenhill. You never read one of his books. I encourage you to read his books. You probably question your faith, but in a good way. <laughs> he was gnarly. He was all the way in. And his, his disciples were people like Keith Green. 
told Bodie, I said, this guy, Keith Green, before your time. But this guy was so impacted by the ministry of people like Leonard Ravenhill that were all the way in for Jesus. That they leveraged their influence. I said, Keith Green, my dad would go to his Bible study when he was young. And he had multiple houses, Granada Hill area. He had multiple houses that he would actually bring addicts in from off the streets. He was discipling people in his living rooms of these houses. He was using the money from his fame and his fortune to actually disciple people that needed Jesus. I said, somehow that generation's teaching led to Keith Green's, but our celebrity pastor culture is leading to these lost celebrities that are just as lost as the world is. I was like, Bodie, you're going to be one of the artists that does not lose your identity. You're going to actually use your, your platform to actually use the kingdom of God to set a bar for the world. Where are the men and women that don't bow to the bells of our day and say, you know what, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to hunger for God. I'm going to live humbly before him, and he's going to elevate me in due time. God resists the, the, the proud friends, but he does give grace and more grace to the humble. God is looking for men and women that are humble enough, hungry enough, and actually are honorable enough that he can elevate. Listen, we're not living for 60, 70, 80, 90s of maybe borrowed time. We're shooting for eternity. I'm telling you right now, I want to remind some of you today, you think you're going to live forever. You're not. Last time I checked, mortality hangs right around 99.99%. No one gets off this rock alive. And when you're under 40, you don't really think about it. I didn't really think about it. I'm, I'm, I just turned 39. Look, 38. Come on, praise God. But listen to me. I'm 39 now. I'm like, man, the end is there. And what we do, I feel like I have two, three, four decades to exhaust all that I have to tell everybody about somebody and, and to leave a mark on the world that impacts eternity. I want to do more than have a house and a car and a trip. Listen to me. We're aiming for eternity. Why are the wise men wise? Where is he? If he's there, I'm hungry for him. If he's there, I'll humble myself. If he's there, I'll honor him with my greatest treasuries. Where are the Christians that live like this? I think too many people live, they're not even hungry for God. I just want to go to heaven, that's it? Getting to heaven is like the uh, first base to the kingdom of God. Home run is bringing everybody you know, your whole household, bringing everybody with you. You stand your feet today. I'm not asking if you know the Bible today. I'm asking if you're willing to go to Bethlehem. I'm not asking if you've read your Bible, went to Christian school, have a mom or a dad that prays. I'm asking you, is your faith in God more than some academic head knowledge? Are you living what you believe? And if I could be very honest with our generation, I think we have more knowledge and we know way more than we live. And I'd like to remind the church in the Western world that mature Christianity is not how many scriptures you know, it's how many scriptures you live. Practice this stuff. Smell like the theology that you smoke. Come on. We've got too many people that know it up here, but they don't live it in here. My grandpa used to always say, most people miss eternity by about 15 inches, the distance from their head to their heart. I don't want to just academic uh, mind uh, this, this idea of God. I want it to change my heart. So I want to pray for you today. I don't know why, it's a simple message today, but I just feel like the Holy Spirit said three things. Ask the people 
if they feel like they've lost their hunger for me. I was listening to one of my messages from a couple of years ago, and I know myself pretty well. <laughs> Tough crowd, man. I was listening, I was like, man, that, I, could, I could feel the hunger in my voice. And I prayed a prayer last night. I said, Lord, let me never lose my hunger. I always want to preach every week like it's someone's last time to hear the gospel. Because every week it is. People say, why are you fired up every single week? I'm fired up because I know that some of you will only be here today. And this might be your last chance in the rest of your life to make a decision that will change your eternity. So I'm going to preach to my underwears what every week. Come on, somebody. Too much information. Praise God. Because there's people that need to hear this truth. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads? Holy Spirit, I just ask you right now in Jesus Christ's name, online or in the room, how many would say this today, just all over the room, just say, Lord, speak to me. If you really want to hear God today, just put your hand on your heart, say, Lord, speak to me. I pray that right now you would soften the hard heart. I pray that right now, Lord, that even any spirit that would try to keep people in bondage, I command, I arrest any spirit that tries to keep people in captivity right now. Let there be freedom in the house for whom the sun sets free is what? Whom the sun sets free is what? You will know the truth and the truth will set you. I pray freedom all over these tents. I pray freedom online right now. And I ask you in Jesus' name, even for those that maybe are in darkness, blatant, intentional darkness, let this be a window of grace. Save even then the day. All over the room, how many feel like I lost some hunger or I've never had a hunger for God? And I want to have a hunger to know where he is. I want to I line up. Maybe your life hasn't been perfect like mine, but you want to line up your future by saying, I, wanna, I don't know if I have 20 years, 40 years, 20 days, 20 months, but I want to live the rest of my days in full pursuit, full hunger for Jesus and the things of God. Would you just lift your hands all over this place today and say, I want to live with hunger. I don't want to lose hunger. I don't want to lose fire. I don't want to live in someone else's fire. I want to go for myself. I want to read for myself, pray for myself. I want to get close to God for myself. Just you put your hands all over the room today? It doesn't make you weird. It makes you honest. Your hands up all over the tents today online. Just pray this prayer. Say, Holy Spirit, give me a hunger for you like I've never had before. A hunger to read the Bible. A hunger to pray, spend time with you. And even a love for the house of God. I ask you for a holy hunger. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. You put your hands down. You're here today say, Mark, I feel like the second thing I need to do is I just need to, I feel like I'm lacking this humility with God. And I'm tired of doing things on my own. I want to welcome God into my life to sit on the throne. I'm tired of being in charge. I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to say, God, you are Lord. You're the one that's going to guide my life. How many feel like today, you just feel like, God, I want to grow in humility. Lift my hand today, Holy Spirit. And anybody else that wants to lift their hands, you can put your hands up right now. Just say this, Holy Spirit, I invite you to create a humble heart, a soft heart that honors you, stands for you, that loves you. I want real faith that makes a difference for eternity last two things we do here today you say mark i feel like i'm missing honor i've gotten really cavalier with god really nonchalant 
You've been treating Jesus like an employee. He is not your employee. He doesn't work for you. He's a terrible employee. He's a boss. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's the CEO of the universe. And today, we're going to honor him today, no longer as just the one that cleans us up and gets us to heaven, but as the blessed controller of everything in our lives. If you're ready to get off the throne today saying, Lord, I'm going to honor you. Maybe you've never given your life to God, or maybe today you need to rededicate your life. Really go all the way in. Some of you have been one foot in, one foot out. You've been Sunday Christians, but not seven-day-a-week Christians. Today we go all in, in Jesus' name. If you're ready to honor God with your life today, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand all over the tents, online. You're going to write heart, H-E-A-R-T. I want to give God my whole heart. I want to direct my heart to God today. That's all I'm asking. You're not perfect. All of us are not perfect. You're inviting God in. You put your hands up. I'll give you three seconds all over the tents. I want to honor God with my very life. I'm going to count to three. One, I pray all over the room. Hands are going up. Two, there was seven online last week. There was 14 in this room last service. Two, all over the room. I'm getting right with God right here, right now, real high. Three, real high, real high. I see two. I see three. I see four. I see five. Yeah, real high. Six, real high, real high. Seven, real high. Eight, thank you. Nine, in the back. Ten, I see in the back, sir, the hat. I see ten hands. I think I counted you already. Maybe eleven. I see at least ten. Awesome. Oceans, you put your hands down today. Would you put your hand on your heart as we invite Jesus into all of these all these lives? Let's pray this together. Say, Holy Spirit, I invite you into my life. Jesus Christ is the Lord, Savior, healer, leader of my life from this day forward. Evict the darkness, any spirit that's not the Holy Spirit. Go now in Jesus' name. Lead me from this day forward in Jesus' name. And pray these for extra credit. Say, speak to me as I read your word and get me planted in a church that I can be discipled. In Jesus Christ's name. And everybody that prayed that prayer said, Amen. We do one more thing today, and we're done. We do one more thing. God said so clear last night, I will heal incurable diseases. I will heal the incurable. I heard it clear as day. I wrote up my notes. If you need a touch from God today, physically, mentally, it could be an addiction, hereditary. It could be a, a, a cancer. I don't, we've been seeing wild miracles. I've heard of three stage four cancers all over the body that have been completely clear scans in the last two weeks. Three stories like that. So maybe it's not stage four cancer. Maybe it's a lifelong addiction to drugs. Or maybe it's like I have, a, I have an autoimmune disease my whole life. If you've prayed before for healing, don't give up. This could be the day. You guys ready? If you need to touch from God, just lift your hands. We'll be out of here in like two minutes, I promise. I need to touch from God today. Heal the incurable. Do something that's never been done before. If someone's hands up right now, I would love it if one or maybe two people would put their hand on their shoulder. The Bible says they will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. So all over the tents today, come on, who's got some faith? Pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, in Jesus Christ's name, we lay hands on them right now, and we bind 
spirit of infirmity and we loose healing top of their head soles of their feet liberation from addictions healing from diseases disorders and generational sickness fill them and heal them in Jesus name right now and everybody said come on you receive that today just say amen come on you've got a good hand clap right now sometimes you feel it immediately some of you are healed right now I just know right now you're healed there'll be others as you go this week every day you're gonna wake up and you're gonna feel like 25% better 25% better and by this time next week you're gonna feel like all your symptoms are completely gone there is a God in heaven that's still doing impossible miracles. And if you love him today, come on, say amen. I love you guys so much.